Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Peyton Jones, and I am here with a guest, a coworker, kind of, although we never interact with each other because we're in different uh, different training tracks, but I am here with uh, author, church planner, and uh, really a, a course builder, architect, and urban church planning expert by the name of Dahati Lewis. And uh, Dahati, welcome. Oh, welcome. I'm excited. Thank you. I didn't know I had all those um, descriptors on oh, me. Brother, I, c- I could have added, you know, conference speaker extraordinary, MC massive church planning legend. You know, we could have just Blueprint Man. architect, you know, I mean, Blueprint network founder. We could have kept going, but. Man, you, you, you create this high expectation and it's, it's only downhill from here. So, it's <laughs> like, you know, so let's keep the bar low. All right, brother. Well, my, my, hey, my, my guests are used to that, and so is my audience. So let's, uh, let's crack on, man. So uh, you've got a book out right now, and it is a book that uh, we'll get into a little bit more. I just want to say at, at the outset, um, it's been published by B&H, and it's called Among Wolves, Disciple Making in the City. Um, this has been a book that I've been excited to see come out because – uh, you lead a training in the North American Mission Board um, that you were leading before, but I think they they adopted you and uh, said, "Hey, you know, will you train our urban church planners?" and uh, and so it's an urban church planning track called Boulevard. Uh, for our listeners, I'm not telling Dahati this; he knows all this. But he wrote a book called Among Wolves, which is kind of like the 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 blueprint for this. How do you train church planners? So I've been really excited because all of us that are in the multiply training have wanted to kind of peek over your shoulder and, and see what do you train in church planners? And mm. uh, so that's very, very cool. Did I get that wrong or did I get that right? No, you hit it spot on, spot on. It was, um, it's, it's been a joy to, to live, really more so live out than um, to write. I'm definitely a practitioner at heart. And so just the ability to kind of put my, you know, the, my thoughts on paper is, 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 it's been, it was humbling, you know, and then, you know, and as, as a practitioner, you know, that it seems like because you're so into intuitive into the context that you're actually ministering to at the time, there's always those nuances. And so writing the book was really difficult from that vantage point because of this, the nuances and the ability to adapt it based upon the context that, we're in. So, yeah. So, because we know that there's no true, I mean, urban is so diverse and in terms of urban, you know, is this so it's different. I mean, I remember it was years back that I walked into a store and it was called urban outfitters. And when I was at this urban outfitters, I was just like, there's nothing urban about this outfitter, you know, about the urban outfitters. And I realized that people's different definition of urban and what urban is, is so drastic. You know what? I, I learned the, what I think is the most helpful definition from you hearing you speak. Um, 
it, it's funny because I, I was a church planner in an urban context in Long Beach, just literally two blocks from where the SIN conference was held um, a couple of weeks back. Um, give your, cause you start off in the book kind of, you know, laying down, like, I mean, I think it's almost like paragraph one. Um, you lay down the, you know, what urban is. Can you give your definition? Cause it's the yeah, most helpful I mean, I've ever It's very heard. simple. It's very simple. The, my definition of urban is density and diversity. And I think that is, is critical uh, because most of what we talk about urban, a lot of times, especially as a minority, you think about if I say urban, people automatically assume inner city, poor, black and Latino, right? But that is not what makes up most of the urban context anymore, right? These, because of gentrification, because of all the different dynamics that are happening, that is no longer solely the sole definition. I mean, I, you know, and on the one end, I don't define urban, in, you know, by inner city. I define it by density and diversity. But on the other end, I don't run away from inner city as well. Right. You know, this inner city is a part of urban. But I think a lot of times people, you know, I don't want people to be confused. Don't go reading this book thinking that you're going to think about here's disciple making in the inner city. That's, right. that's not what I'm trying to do, attempting to do. I'm trying to think through how do we move to uh, more of a density and diversity that we're seeing across the country and really around the world. You know, and, and, and it's interesting because there are different dynamics. So if our church planners, and, and we're, we're totally breaking protocol here because normally we'd ask you how you came to, you came to faith, and we, we will get back to that. But our conversation hit the ground running. But uh, one of the things that, you know, like, like when, uh, you know, city planners talk or, or when, you know, uh, people are, are, are looking at like an urban landscape, uh, there are differences between a suburban uh, way of thinking and an urban way of thinking. So, for example, like uh, shop owners in an urban context, you know, when city planners are, are planning everything out, people tend in an urban context to do most of their business within a five, five minute walking radius. And so, if you've been planning in a suburban context and you're thinking, you know, we're going to be the church that people drive to, that's not that's not how an urban community works. Yeah. And so right away, having somebody speak into that immediately, that there are different ways of living, really, not just thinking, but living. And, yeah. uh, and that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I mean, you, you've hit it spot on. I mean, and which goes into so many different dynamics as you think about um, how you engage a community or how you engage a city. And I think that's really one of the things that, uh, we have to come to grips with, especially those who are trying to plant in harder cities or urban centers, is we have to move kind of from an ethnic missiology to a neighbor missiology of how do I reach my neighbor? Because a lot of times if you go in and just, you know, with the old Saddleback Sam model of putting a, one type of person up and just assume that whoever is going to drive to your context, the thing is that you may be successful, but you're you're not successful necessarily you know, reaching those in the area in which you're planting. And that may not be people's goals, but if you're, it's it's, it's interesting to me as so many of us in this kind of this urban movement to kind of plant more urban, we go into the urban context, but we're reaching still the gentrified or the suburban people that are coming in to the city for the better show. And they're not necessarily um, reaching our neighbors and the people that are in our neighborhood. And so, you know, for us at Blueprint Church, we just want to kick against that. And so, like, our goal is, is that we want 50%, always 50% of our people to be able to walk to church, you know. And so we kind of draw, draw. Um, we kind of think of defined it by a 1.5 square mile radius. And that's about a 30-minute walk 
Um, and that's where we, we really want 50% of our people to come from that area. And so that's yeah. really kind of our heart and um, how we go about doing that. That's really good, man. And I think whenever I hear you talk about church and what it's been like, or I've watched your videos are outstanding. Um, I don't, I don't know where people can, can get a hold of one of your videos. Do you have a place on the web where those live? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, there's multiple uh, places right now. Most of our stuff is held on just the blueprint um, website. So blueprintchurch.org. But I've also, um, as you know, as a a fellow author, um, uh, now I've been forced to to make a, (laughs) a Facebook fan page so yeah, the Facebook fan page now is a going to be a place where I'm going to be holding and I'm starting to upload all of the things, um, you know, that I'm in or about. And, you know, I laugh because anybody who knows me knows like I am that dude. Like I get on Facebook like once a month or yeah. once every two months. And then I, when I get on, I got like messages from like two months ago and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not trying to ignore you. I just don't get on Facebook. Brother, I, I was literally like you, like until I got my first book deal, I didn't even have a Facebook account because to me, that was like someone sitting in Starbucks going, I'm having a cupcake. It's so cool. And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think you should care when I'm eating a cupcake, like yeah. who cares? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's funny, but you know, when I hear you or watch you um, talk about church and, and you and I have a lot of similarities in, in, in how we approach the whole gathering uh, of God's people, but and you know the mission that's involved in that, you know, simultaneously and this and that. But the um, for me, you know, I, I, whenever I'm hearing, you know, what you're saying, I'm like, that's the church I want to go to, man. Like that is that community, that that community beyond Sundays. I think this is very much um, what what even a suburban, all of our suburban pastors out there have something to learn from this. So guys, don't don't be listening today and think. I, you know, I'm not planning an urban church. Listen, the same issue that Dahadi laid out where, you know, you can plant in an urban context and not reach the neighborhood. This is exactly what's happening in, in suburban communities. In fact, um, I would say this is, this is in the majority of, of pastors. Uh, they drive through a neighborhood to get to their church. Maybe it's their own neighborhood. They leave their driveway. They drive past neighbors they don't even know. Um, they drive maybe halfway across town where they got a warehouse and they drive through yet another neighborhood of people that their church doesn't reach, uh, much like their own neighborhood, to get to the church office where they lock themselves in a building all day uh, in a cubicle and they become uh, clerics. And I don't mean the religious kind. I mean like clerks uh, for Jesus and pencil pushers for Jesus is what I call them. And so, you know, what Dahani lays out here. Um, I'm not going to to steal your thunder here, but um, give us kind of the outline of the book. Um, how's it broken down? Because that, that's kind of a powerful. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's really an outlining of the book of Matthew. It's not a commentary on Matthew. It is just taking Matthew and what I would say at face value. Um, the book of Matthew starts off with this, this burden that uh, to bring a tangible expression of Jesus. He talks about, we will call him Emmanuel, God with us. That this a desire and a burden to establish a tangible expression. And then it ends with him saying, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will always be with you. So it starts with this burden and desire to bring about God to be with us. And then it ends with Jesus mobilizing 
an army saying, go therefore and make disciples and I will be with you. And so really what we're trying to do is that we take eight significant movements that we see in the book of Matthew, taking us from a burden that we have to bring a tangible expression of Jesus to our context, to mobilizing a people and looking at the life of Jesus and taking it. So there's eight movements that, that we just walk through and it is really a, a, an opportunity for anybody who has a burden. And it's not just church planners. It can be mission communities. It can just be um, mom that this has a burden to bring about a tangible expression of Jesus. And we think that the community of God um, that is professing born again believers is a tangible expression of that. And so anybody who has that desire um, to do that is, is, is kind of how we've laid out the book. It's and it's really cool, man. Because I I love Matthew. I I don't know why, but that's my favorite gospel. And and I think because of the kingdom language, that whole idea of the kingdom expanding. Any of us that are kind of more apostolic, where that's our that's our, that's our love language, man. Yeah. Is you're talking about the kingdom expanding. What I loved about this is it's gospel centered, and um, you point out, hey, this stuff is gospel centered, local church base. But even the movements, right, that you observe in Matthew, that you're training guys, hey, and and, and gals as well. Um, vision from burden, um, establish movement too is establishing family. Just backing up there, that vision from burden. We hear a lot about vision nowadays, and a lot of times you think of a bunch of guys stuck in a in a in a boardroom with a whiteboard on the wall, and you know. But the vision from burden, I think, is a powerful concept. Can you can you just unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, one of the things this comes from our kind of oversaturation in conferences, concerts, church services. I mean, what we do is that we create what I call a copycat Christianity, right? It's where we go in and we listen to our favorite heroes, whether it's Swindoll or Stanley or Martin Luther King or whoever it may be. Um, you didn't then, mean Stan Lee, right? Like from, you know, you meant yeah. Stan Lee, like, and I've just, I had to check. I was, you I had to check, yeah, you know, Stan Lee. Um, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, and that's what we do is that we go and we'll find this, the person's like, man, I love what they do. I love the success they have. Let me just go take what they have and go and do that. And so really we just take the principle of how do we authenticate this burden? But really, but without trying to go, I'm going to look within, you know, because a lot of times when people think authenticating, I just got to keep your original burden. You have to first look within. So we start and we says, in order to have a vision from burden, you have to start with God's burden or God's story. Mm. And then from that, you understand God's burden or God's story. You have to understand your personal story, God's providence in your life and how he has fearfully and wonderfully made you. But then you can't stop there. You also got to look at the life of others that God has surrounded you around and how has he burdened them. But then you also um, look at the story of or the burden or the story of the city that Mm. you're in. Um, and then with all of those four stories overlap is where you're going to find a vision from birth, you know, and, um, and I think a lot of times I, I use the story of David in the story of David, when he's seeing Saul, he doesn't go in and, you know, take on Saul's armor, you know, when he's fighting Goliath, he said, no, I can't put on your armor because if I put on your armor and I end up trusting your armor, then I'll miss it. But I have to trust the sovereign God and how God has fearfully and wonderfully made me in this context and being able to use it. And I think we will get something that's more authenticated because I really believe authenticity is the apologetic of our day. And if we are not real, then we'll miss it. 
we'll, we'll miss it. And I think this copycat Christianity, where we're taking a piece of everybody's vision and trying to kind of hodgepodge our own, uh, people see right through it. And we can't, you don't see the, the burden to the kind of the more imperative to, to have to do it. Absolutely. And the way God designed nature is that, you know, when you see a big oak tree and you see, you know, all those massive branches, there's a mirror image underneath the ground there. And I think what a lot of people, and you, you bring this up that one of your mentors had said, we got to be careful with ministry because, you know, often our gifting will take us places our character can't handle. And you see that a lot of people want a shortcut to success and God doesn't do that. And the same with, with your church. Why would God plant this church with all these branches and all, all this, this size and girth and not, not the roots that go down deep, that, that hard work you got to do with God breaking your heart, the Holy Spirit coming in and transforming and humbling you, like, like getting you to, un, you know, to say things like, I don't understand I, you know, I've misjudged the people in this neighborhood. I just having all of that dismantling that has to happen. I don't think any important work, even, you know, we could, we could sit and talk about, you know, the immense amount of work God had to do just to get the 12 to go reach the Gentiles. Right. Um, You know, we could, we could talk about, you know, um, you know, uh, Peter's vision three times. I mean, there's some deep work sometimes that has to be done before outreach starts and there's a process and a journey. And I love that you bring that out. And speaking of that, let me springboard into that because we we kind of shortchanged you at the beginning where we we didn't stop. Where did your vision from burden come from? How did you get involved in this crazy little thing called church planting? Well, I mean for me it was it was I wasn't raised in the church at all. So just to give you the short version of it, not being raised in the church, my dad played pro football. So my God and everything I did was around professional sports and specifically professional football. Football was my God. Everything I did and didn't do wasn't was based on that. Didn't get a scholarship to a major division one school out of high school. And that really was the very thing that used that God used. Now I grew up in the typical, like my dad played football, but what I didn't tell you was when he got cut that same year, we were on welfare. And so I grew up pretty much from fifth grade through high school, kind of with the typical inner, inner city kid story, living with aunts and grandma and all that. Because my, my dad also left us and he disappeared for a few years doing that. So I grew up with that typical. But I never had a problem because football was always my incubator. You know, as long as football was good, I was good. But what God used was he snatched football, at least Division One football, because I wanted to be a pro athlete like my dad. And it was there that he snatched me up and says, man, there's something more. So I started studying world religions, um, Hinduism, Buddhism, African tribal religions. I became a world religions major. And it was at that time, Christianity was the one thing that spoke to me that says, you're not good enough and you need a savior. Mm-hmm. I came to know the Lord in 1995. In 96, I got a scholarship to the University of North Texas. At North Texas, met this group of people. They were talking about stories like David and Goliath, Samson and Delilah. I was like, who are these people? Because I wasn't raised in the church. I would go back and like, as a football mindset, I would go back and like, man, I need to be in like spiritual two a days. So I was going to university, campus crusade for Christ. I was at a different study every single night because I felt all Christians know their Bible. So I need to catch up and, and learn <laughs> my Bible. Um, and what happened was that at these studies, I started hearing things like evangelism and disciple making. And I was like, I know my friends love the Lord. And what I found out is that, that they know stories about the Bible, but they don't really know the essence of the Bible. 
Because to them, Christianity was don't go to the club, don't drink, don't have sex outside of marriage. It was all the don't do's. And now I'm just like, man, God is actually calling us to do something. And and for from someone who's coming from the urban context, I would always try to bring people, my friends, to some of these studies, which these studies were predominantly majority culture studies. So they would come and it was like, man, I love the teaching, but I'm not feeling the acoustic guitar. I'm not. (laughs) It was always something that was like hindering. So I was just like, man. So my call to ministry was based upon just a burden to be like, man, I want to bring this to my context, to to where I'm. And it wasn't that it was just totally void, but it was just so like in my area, it just wasn't available. And because I wasn't raised in the church, we did what I, I was like, I want to create something that I would want to come to. And so yeah. that's when we started doing hip hop and things like that. And that's when people like, you know, Lecrae and my brother, Show Baraka and Tadashi and all that. That's awesome. Yeah. They, they came I listen to that guy. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And so they were the ones doing it because I was more of an athlete. You know, I was yeah. just more of a dude that, but when they came to know the Lord, we started doing those things. And it was just one of those things that, God just took it off from there. And then we started realizing that, that our story wasn't a unique story, but there's people across the country, you know, that have the same story that they felt like, man, either I'm around a group of people who understands the urban context, but they don't have the same commitment to theology and missions and, you know, or I'm around a group of people who understand urban or who understand urban, but they don't have the same commitment to theology. So either right. I'm, Either people get me theologically, but not contextually, or people get me contextually, but not theologically. And it mm. produced what we call third culture kids. No one really gets us. And and I just wanted to be, and so really it was at that point, like my call was like, I, I, I want to be the last generation that has to leave the urban context in order to get sound disciple making. Wow. And that's been really my, the burden, the heart that has driven every decision, every single thing that, you know, that has shaped you know what I'm doing, and so that's kind of the the, ver- the burden um, that I have. And I and I talk a little bit about this in the in the book, um, just kind of my my story because I think it's important to know a person's story, even in writing the book, because there's a reason why Andy Stanley wrote choosing to cheat, right? There's a because he grew up in a family with dad. You know, there's all types of it's a part of his story. Yeah, that's why he's the type of person that God needed to bring up to talk to pastors about if you're going to cheat anything, don't cheat. The ch- I mean, don't cheat your family, cheat the church. Yeah. You know? And so I think those are the realities that we have to have and, you know, and making sure. So, so yeah. So, I mean, that's really where I'm just like, I really try to press into that and really using the story of Joseph of how you see God authenticating that burden in Joseph. And how he used both God's story, Joseph's stories, the story of others around him, you know, with uh, Mary and, and John the Baptist and others to bring about bringing a tangible expression. And the, and the context was Jerusalem, right? And so God operated in that way. And you see that in the book of Matthew. And, and we don't have to imagine. We can take these principles and apply them to our context and, mm-hmm. and authenticate our own burden and our own story. That is, and, and that is some powerful stuff right there. Um, I, you know, I, one of the things I appreciate you is your, about you is your boldness. Um, that kind of bold honesty that, that doesn't, doesn't come out with an arrogance to say, Hey, I got all the answers. 
but you know to to be willing to 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 call call the church out to call leadership out to say hey this can't be like you know the church isn't a homogenous body of people so we can't think that one group of people has it all figured out and i think like I said, I, I believe, kind of like your vision where you said, you know, I want to grow up in the, the last generation that has to leave the urban context to get these things. I, I actually believe that in future, kind of like I hinted at earlier, that the urban context is going to lead the suburban context. Because all of the things that the urban context is doing extremely well are the things that the suburban context needs. Yeah. Um, you know, I, in, within suburban context, people are going, we need community, you know. People are leaving mega. This generation doesn't want to go to the big box church and watch their performance. They want to get involved. They want to have families for their kids. They want a neighborhood church. There's been a shift. Yeah. Amen. And I think one of the impacts that you see with gentrification, people think gentrification only impacts the urban context, but it actually impacts all of us, you know, suburban, rural, because they're giving the people from that are indigenous to the urban context, they're giving them vouchers to suburban areas, you know, right. and so they, you know, not only are, is America now the most diverse country in the world, but we are also, they said, according to the, I forgot what poll, but they said that since 2006, there's now more people living in poverty in suburban and rural areas than they're now in the city. So this is no longer, uh, we can kind of quarantine the, the issues to a certain context, the suburban issues and the, um, urban issues and rural issues, that there's going to be a lot more of a blend. Um, and most sociologists actually say state that the real thing that's going to happen is not just a center city urban, but it's now based upon suburban and rural places becoming more urban and embracing more of this density and diversity that's taking place. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, so it's something that we, we all, we, can't, we, we can no longer run from. Um, we can no longer run from it. We don't have to deal with it and face it head on. Absolutely. My, um, some of my, uh, my relatives were moved out of projects into a suburban um, project. And, you know, it, it, you know, an hour and a half away from Los Angeles. And, you know, you, uh, you are seeing this. And also, too, you mentioned, you know, that uh, we're seeing the, um, you know, the, the poverty, um, I, you know, I lived in Europe for 12 years mm-hmm. and there was, you know, there are many, many more affluent people, but Americans walk around thinking like, you know, we've got, we're the richer country than all the other countries, but having lived in Europe for 12 years and, and again, the same things we're talking about are the things that, you know, the same things in the urban context are the same things you do in the European context. Yeah. And it's the things that America, but you have far more poverty in America. And I don't think, I don't think the average American, cause you know, they watch, we hear the echo chamber of our news and we just talk about American news all the time. It's just America, America, America. We live in Europe. You realize that their poverty is not the depth of our poverty. They, mm-hmm. And it's not even the, the, the breadth of our poverty. It's very, very much different. There's a, there's even a higher standard of poverty there than you have here. People don't realize that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I mean, I've, I've talked to my seven brothers that I have that are planting churches over in the London in the UK, and that's exactly it's similarities. But like you just said, what you're highlighting is the same thing that they accent 
um, and talking to them as, as we wrestle through some of these similar issues. And, and Stetzer always even talks about this idea. Um, he says in most other countries, the poverty is primarily in the suburbs, you know, in the center city is more, um, is where the people of wealth live. And he says America's different in that way. And so that's something that's unique that Stetzer use, always quotes and talks about. Yeah. And guys, you're going to get a lot of insights um, from this book, Among Wolves. I mean, an entire generation of urban planners are being trained with some of this. And like, like I said, my hope today has been for those of you that aren't planting the urban context, even those of you ministering, you pick this book up because like I said, this, these principles are New Testament. They're grounded in scripture, the gospel centered, they're local church based, and they are things that are going to help you no matter what context you're in. The book is called Among Wolves, Disciple Making in the City by Dahati Lewis. And uh, you can grab it on Amazon. You can grab it on christianbook.com. Uh, and like my co-host used to say, wherever fine Christian books are sold. So um, check out Dahati's Facebook fan page. Was that Dahati Lewis? Just go yeah. to Dahati Lewis. Yeah, Dahati Lewis fan page. I, you know, I'm, this is new to me. So um, uh, you, you'll find I'm, the, the beautiful thing is that there's not too many Dahati Lewises. D-H-A-T-I. Yep, Dahati Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right, guys. Well, hey, uh, we have one last question that we always ask every guest, and we're going to ask it for you, Dahati. And uh, we've had to think long and hard about this because each guest is unique and different. And uh, we we usually kind of, you know, when my co-host is here, we, we put money on this. And uh, normally we know we don't put money on it, but normally we, we kind of say who we think before the show is going to win. But uh, this is a question we ask every guest at the end. The, the lineup changes every time. But if you, Dahati, were to get into a physical fistfight with D.A. Horton, who would win? I mean, I, my reach, I'm tall. I'm like, I think I got like a foot on D.A. I mean, I'll just kind of just keep jabbing him. Jab, 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 you know. D.A. DA would probably have to go dirty on me in order. But I, I think I'd be ready for him. So, yeah. I'm I, I think you would. See, my money would have been on you. So yeah, yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with me because you know I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep them, I'm gonna keep them, I'm gonna keep them away from the body. I won't let them get to the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would imagine that would be true. And he's kind of nice. Like he's a nice dude. He's kind of mellow. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like I feel very convicted though. Like that's the that's the issue. Like I like because Da is kind of like he's the most godly, one of the most godly dudes I know. And you know, you feel just like man, like. Like DA would probably be the one he's I'm just gonna lay my life down for you, brother. So you win. You know that I mean that's probably how he would even approach it. See, I'm even convicted answering the question now because of DA, how I know he would answer the question. Hey, that's always our 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 hope is to make our guests feel uncomfortable, a little bit awkward at the end of the show. But uh, you know, we had uh Mac Lake on last week and we asked him, Will Mancini. And uh, he went to town on Will Mancini. That was that was good. He went to town on him. But uh, when we when we asked Will, uh, you know, months earlier, Will said the same thing where he said, you know, oh, I feel so bad. Mac's so nice. Little did he know months later, Mac would say, oh, I'd kill him. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, but sometimes it's those nice people that you got to watch the most. That's what I was going to say. See, because what we don't realize is that's a weapon in and of itself, right? It's not intimidation. It's actually, it's a different, it's a different force at work there. And that's my train. That just exists here. 
And which is normally the time that like Mr. Rogers neighborhood is telling us it's time to get off, you know, it's time, time to leave make believe land. So anyways, uh, our guest has been to Hottie Lewis, um, check out his book among wolves. Definitely pick it up Dahadi, Thanks for being a guest. Thank you for being here and having me on. I've, it's been a pleasure and looking forward to reading your book. Oh, well, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Dahadi endorsed it. I twisted his arm and we got it. And, uh, Anyways, guys, have a great uh, week, and Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.